0: This is Alan Arnold. It is the last day of May, May 31st. You're listening to the Wild at Heart podcast. And with me again in the studio is Sam Eldridge. Hey, Sam. Hey, Alan. We are in the middle of two different weeks of Anson's podcast. What we wanted to do is just give you a taste of what these guys, Sam and Blaine, are doing every week. There's an Anson's podcast that comes out every Tuesday. And if you're not familiar with it, it is for millennial guys. And it is for you, pretty much it's for everyone, because they tackle issues that we all go through and that will resonate with you. So what you're going to hear today, Sam, is what?
1: Uh, today's episode is a conversation that's just Blaine and I. This is one where Blaine and I basically crack open the journal. We ask each other what's real, what's current, where's the pain, where's the hope, where's the frustration, and then dig around a little bit. And it's a process that was uncomfortable at first, but personally, I find to be the most gratifying type of content we put out there because if we're not willing to talk about what's real, then why bother? Like, let's turn off the mics. Let's right, go home. Right. What's the point?
0: I love the way you guys not only step fully into that, but into the honesty of what's going on between you because that does create tension. It does create awkward moments. It does create really great things. And also those moments where you're like, <laughs> this is hard. Yeah. It It is stacked with potential
1: and that potential can go either way. But- we actually just hit um um, over a million plays i don't know a couple months ago which is a pretty exciting benchmark for us we just released volume six of the print which by the way we've shifted how you get that tell Um, us how yeah we've shifted over to patreon off of um our old model and patreon is a website where you can jump over and support creators there's a bunch of awesome folks over there podcasters musicians um but if you want the print magazine that's where you have to go these days. And for folks that want to either give more or experience more, like we do live streamed episodes of our podcast now, that's an option for folks. It's not a requirement. And we've been really humbled by their response over there. So if you want to go check it out, patreon.com ansons. But this episode came after 150 or so episodes. Like we've been doing this for a mm-hmm. while and then reached a point where the cracks were showing, like the fatigue was showing, The the potential for great good or great harm had swung both ways enough times that Blaine and I needed to have some real honest conversations and wanted to risk and invite others to see those conversations and see behind the curtain a little bit. So it was one of the more terrifying episodes we've done. (laughs) And yet also, I think, one of the best that we got to
0: offer. Yeah, I think it is too. And as the executive producer of both podcasts, I get the privilege of Wild at Heart and, and Sons production each week. And Sam, I've got to say, you guys have much cooler intro music <laughs> by far than we do. It helped having a younger target audience. Here we go with this Ansons podcast. Don't stop here. Uh, listen to the episode, obviously, but then check out the weekly Ansons podcast. You're going to love it in order for shame to
1: be rendered powerless in our lives, we must be witness. We must be seen your gifting is going to seem like things that are just very obvious. They're going to seem like, well, everybody can be this welcoming. Everybody can see that moment where I just saw it. We're going to feel like anybody could do it. And that's what makes it your gifting. Watch how people avoid the face of somebody in need or asking who makes you uncomfortable. Every one of those faces reveal God. We have to remember our past and recount the things that God has done for us, and then that gives us faith to keep going to where he wants us to be.
2: Welcome back to the Anselm's Podcast. I'm Blaine. And I'm Sam. So the substance of today's conversation Mm -hmm. is what to do when you find The cracks in your life or when the cracks in your life begin to show. Sam, what do you do
1: (laughs) when the cracks in your life begin to show? Uh, Yeah, well, I will say that this is actually offshoots from the last conversation that we had on where have we been? What have you been up to? uh, How has the the furlough gone? And and really, what is the story of the summer? And it felt like that there have been so many miles in the summer and in exploring new uncharted waters that we kind of have been avoiding personally, interpersonally, that we just didn't want to pass by all of that. I mean, we felt like some of the most meaningful conversations around this table have been ones where we are offering a little bit more data on what's going on behind the scenes. And that's been a lot of the the posture of Anson since the beginning, right? Is it's not, hey, we have all the answers. We're the the first 25-year-olds to have figured it all out. So come do this and you too can be successful. I don't really like people that I've met that have that posture. There's just so too much of the salesman in them the posture of Anson's has been come with us while we journey in this direction. And we're going to be swapping notes a little bit like students cheating for a test, which I know that you have heard rumors about, and I can tell you what it's like, (laughs) Um, but that's where we were going. And what are some deeper dives into the experiences we've been having this summer? Because I know that we're not the only ones, right? Like I know that we offered the last episode in the hopes that our story of examining more of what's going on beneath the surface and asking how we have been doing and being willing to sit there and invite others into that space, uh, was incredibly meaningful. And the hope is that people listening to that, watching that went, oh, okay, how? To, where is this for me? And it just felt like even in that one episode, we would be moving too quickly to then be like, and here's a topic on your food systems, right? Like we just...
2: Right, emotional (sighs) contagion, uh, triangulation, all these other
1: things that get hit on. Right. And even this morning, as I was driving in with dad, I found myself just... We're recording this in the end of 2020, and I was thinking on probably the most said phrase for me of this year would be, I have underestimated how affected I have been. Yes. So that's our context anyway. And as I found with dating, then getting married, then having kids, is it's like the screws just get put on and get tighter and tighter and begin to reveal the cracks, if there are any. I can kind of convince myself as a single guy that my problems weren't that big a deal. Then you get married and you're like, oh, okay could you stop showing me how broken I am from minute to minute? And then you have kids, and it's like, what was I ever stressed about before I had kids? And now I have water seeping into all the cracks and freezing instantly, and I just feel like a broken person five minutes into being a father. (laughs) That's just the the first five minutes of
2: every day. Which
1: Luke, Every time we talk about this, Luke just goes, you guys, you make... Being a parent sounds horrible and I never want to do it. I'm like, no, 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 it's a really good thing. It's the most meaningful thing ever in my whole life and I love it because I actually am okay with these things being revealed, which is why I'm okay with, like, hey, what do you do for a podcast? Uh, let's have a conversation where we talk about how you respond, you, Blaine, you, Sam, to when the cracks start showing and what you do next.
2: Yeah. Yay.
1: Let's it's, just air that a to great the world. One.
2: I love that phrase that you said you find yourself saying of you underestimated the effect of the year. And I think that if part of it seems to depend on your personality type, if you're like me, you spend the majority of your time frustrated with other people. And that cuts both ways in that maybe you're... Maybe that is an expression of your gifting, which is to be able to identify and perceive and describe people and systems, but also that it keeps it at a real arm's length where for me, all the way through 2020, one of the challenges was to stop talking about external entities, my neighbor, my church, my people, and begin talking about the personal disappointments that I felt. And as soon as I started doing that, I started having much better conversations with other people who were frustrated with their communities because we would start a conversation and they would say, my in-laws did this thing, blah, 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 blah. It's so annoying how they don't know how to navigate a hard time. And I go, yeah, the same thing happened to me. You know where that's hitting me is in my desire to be a priority to people. And when people go into crisis mode, you see what their priorities are. And I've realized that I'm not a priority to many of the people that I wanted to be a priority to or not in the way that I wanted or that I actually need to be able to forgive people more even if I am a priority to them. For the ways
1: that that is a mixed bag. Wait, wait, wait! Somebody would share, about their in laws, and then you would have this whole thing ready to just self-aware. Well, I built hand it over time. <laughs> You're like, yeah, you know what that makes me think, and really ultimately how the gospel restores us and brings that's us back into unity with God. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm going towards. Yep, that's
2: What you can't not talk about the gospel. Uh, I know that you we, can't. I talk about. But it's funny because I do talk a lot to a lot of people about their churches Mm -hmm. and church pain, big theme Uh, in 2020. And sometimes I just had to remind people that before revivals happen, schisms happen, because when God starts to move and people perceive that, not everyone wants in. In Mm. fact, most people opt out (laughs) and to go, yeah, but you know, The shaking that you're experiencing is the first thing that happens when you live in a sweet revival season. So congratulations, you've lost half your people. But I would would have conversations over and over again with people on, everyone at my church is mad for this reason. Mm. And I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're all, to a certain extent, trying to distance ourselves from the real problem. And I know this because this is what I do by going – my whole extended family, they're all crazy for whatever reason. Like, go either direction. and I'll, I'll go both directions. My whole extended family is crazy because they have not seen anyone since the pandemic started. And frankly, I'm tired of thinking about it. Or right. you can go the other way. My whole extended family is crazy because they're just living their ordinary lives, throwing caution to the wind. And I'm tired of thinking about it. No matter who you are, you're tired of thinking about it. And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." So what does that mean to you, right, Blaine, when people who you care about do things like that? What do you feel? Because that's where the action is. Because obviously, in either case, you're not seeing either party. So
1: yeah, right. I, Brene Brown, who's really become the the household name of 2020. The Empress. Is, oh my of gosh. Um, I'm actually not super familiar with her work other than a few tidbits. Did you watch the TED Talk? But there was a TED Talk on Blame um, that just cracked me up. She's telling a story. She's in the kitchen in the morning, making herself a cup of coffee, and she gets distracted and knocks it on the floor and immediately <laughs> just goes, Damn it, Steve who is her husband and isn't anywhere in the room. And she's just looking for somebody to blame because it feels better and distances herself. And that's what I'm hearing while you are sharing all of these. It's been a year of all these people do this and it makes me feel frustrated, angry, unseen, uncared for, any number of things. And it's really a safer place to have the conversation about them and the ways that they are wrong or the ways that they are failing you, or blame them because none of it's your fault and you aren't really the target. You're not in the spotlight and you don't have to uh, take deep breaths and put both feet on the floor and repeat to yourself, (laughs) it's good to be seen. It's good to be seen. Not As a hypothetical example that somebody might have needed to do multiple times. Towards the end of this year. Yeah, I just thought of a good metaphor. Oh, yeah. Okay, it works like this.
2: We, as we are navigating life, I may, <laughs> I'm going to overcommit to this metaphor, but it works.
1: <clears throat> <clears throat> Great. I'm excited to see
2: it. We are supposed to be in sort of the sole lifestyle equivalent of a sweet Jeep Wrangler, the defining feature of which is that. It can stop and rock back and even get stuck for a while and nothing happens to the people inside. But instead, we're all on bikes or motorcycles that have to keep moving or will fall over and hurt ourselves. And so part of the cracks of 2020 is that we've all, and I'll talk about mine, we've all built systems to prop up our issues. <laughs> Or to, or to prop us up where our issues would otherwise be a problem. And those systems were threatened in 2020. Maybe maybe the threat came much earlier for you, but I would go, for me, my equilibrium is maintained by a fast-paced diet of engagements with people. Tons of interaction and by almost like what I would describe as high-octane encounters with God uh, that sustain or keep my life with God afloat, whether Mm -hmm. or not it's a worship thing or it's a prayer time with people, or it's an intervention for this thing. It's very high level.
1: You're busy, so you feel productive.
2: Busy, so I feel productive on on, on multiple levels. Mm. And while I do have good relationships, I also have realized in this year how much I bounce around and how much I use the bouncing around as a stabilizing tactic for disappointment Sort of For avoiding pain. For avoiding pain, for avoiding pain. And so to go, one of the reasons that the cracks showed so significantly, for me, they started to show, you know, we talked about a five-year thing. I would say they built over time, but it happened to coincide with 2020 and the pandemic and everything. Right. I mean,
1: I can, I can remember cracks that started showing when I was three. So, right. you know,
2: but yeah, 2020. <laughs> but to go, most of my lifestyle medication went away, mm. and even being able to commute to work and listen to a podcast and off-gas gets replaced with walking to my backyard where I have a shed, <laughs> and I can still hear my son crying inside, and I'm wondering, should I go parent right now, or should I do my, in air quotes, job, because this really feels like an illusion right now, I. Like I'm I'm somehow convincing myself that what I really should do is sit at this computer and answer these emails
1: when I hear chaos of the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something for me I've repeated a lot is that I was convinced that on the other side of more, a more rigorous schedule was a healthier version and happier version of myself. Like contentment was just on the other side of... I'm really dialing in my daily, weekly rhythms. And I find myself often frustrated, listless, coming home from work going, hey, hon, like it was a good day, but for some reason I need to quit my job, even before 2020, and go, I think we need to sell the house and buy a sailboat and just go because I don't don't know where this is coming from and I don't seem to be able to I don't know, live like an ex-Navy SEAL who tells me I need to get up at four in the morning and defeat my math homework. Who is that guy? Jocko, man. Jocko.
2: You leave Jocko out of this.
1: I'm sure Jocko is an amazing person. And also, I'm not him. And because I'm not him, I'm failing. And therefore, we should just bail. We should just like pull the ripcord and let my weakness take over. And I think for me, that was avoiding the cracks. That's like, I'm like living in the crack of the, that is the gateway to seeing behind the scenes or under the surface or whatever metaphor you need. But I was trying to prop it up with this, this system of, well, if I do this, if I exercise for this amount of time and then I do this daily devotional and I do this thing and I see the people in this and I respond to emails and then I go home and I make this kind of food. Like I can't, I can't, I can't do it. There's so many, right ways to be these days that it's exhausting. I saw an image online of um, a cutting board with vegetables in it and someone being like directing that what you should really do is you should use the handle that's cut into the cutting board to push the vegetables into so they fall into your cooking pan, not just push them off the side because then you make a big mess. And the first comment after it was, at this point, I'm not even sure I'm breathing correctly, <laughs> and I just I, like yes. Like I, there's just there's so many. Well, I, oh, are you doing this? Are you avoiding this thing? Are you doing this? Are you, are you doing this at your time? Are you exercising in the I right hate way? This stuff. And I I thought back to the one of the comments the instructors had for us at our uh, adventure motorcycling school was that speed can cover a lack of skill. Yes. And for me, to your metaphor of the overlanding, that jumping from thing to thing, that blaming or that keeping a high-octane pace or trying to organize our lives successfully, in my case, unsuccessfully, uh, that actually reveals a lack of skill with the slow. That the truly skilled writer, and I think in a broader sense, the truly skilled heart and being can handle the slow because you are you're able to navigate in the minute and be okay with the stillness and all of the ways that your mind and heart and that Jesus will invite you into all that goes down in the slow and instead of being comfortable with it Katy Perry starts playing in my head when I get to the slow I get out in the woods and it's baby you're a fine my mind is like Anything to get us out of (laughs) this (laughs) hole. Oh my gosh. Need more. Want a memory of uh, kindergarten where you left a kid for being his pants? Want a memory where you got left behind at school one day? Want like, anything, anything. Get me out of here.
2: Need experience cocaine. Exactly. So, what are the cracks? I think that. But well, where are your cracks? I'm, yeah, what a bit to say here, because when people talk about discovering something in their heart, mostly what I hear is uh, so, like emotions. I started to get really frustrated when blank thing would happen. I yeah. noticed that my reserves were low. I noticed something like that. That's all legit. Mm-hmm. Yes. So <laughs> in emotional response, your emotions are awesome indicators. They tell you how your heart is doing. I think a, some of the, the cracks for me. Uh, One of them is that when I would tell myself the story that I tell myself to make sense of my life, I wouldn't believe it the way that I used to. And I would say, uh, people, we are built to recognize truth Mm. and actually, if you want to go into your, like, super... I don't know, nerdy theology Bill. go, you have the Holy Spirit to recognize truth. This is this is important in the books of Thessalonians, nerds, uh, of like you have the ability to recognize truth. Lewis riffs on this in a wonderful way in the screw Tape Letters on how fellow spirits are deceiving people, but they also are deceiving people who are also deceiving themselves because you can't quite smother a person's ability to feel... What I've heard called a sense of consolation around reality—we're able, we can, we know when something is real. We know what that feels like. Uh, in the way that when someone is looking you square in the eye and really telling you the truth, there's an emotional response that you feel in your body that testifies to the truth. So one of the stories that I would tell myself it would simply be that being different. And whatever level of gifting I had was my main problem. And so when I would hang out with my friends and it would kind of feel off and I would kind of feel like they were a little annoyed or maybe for whatever reason the relational season we were in was not good. I, and I'm trying to account for my experience. I'd be like, well, it's probably envy is a real thing. But I would go, it's probably exclusively envy, and that's my problem. Or I would tell myself a story around spiritual warfare. Very important, real thing, lots to learn there. We should probably talk more about it because your life could be better than it is right now with a deeper grounding in reality. Uh, But But when I make it exclusive and when it is the only ingredient in the stew. And I go, wow, you know, why is my wife stressed? Probably just because we're under so much regular warfare because for whatever reason, we experience a lot of warfare. Who knows why? And I would rehearse that story in my mind and then kind of go, something in me would go, Mm, I don't think so. I don't think so. Mm. I think that there's more here. And simply, and the crack was, and the offering to you guys listening is to go, (laughs) what is the story that you tell yourself about your regular experiences? How do you make sense of them? Maybe you don't have a story and you need one. But most of us have found a way to make sense of our experience and to go, hey, how much do you still believe that and for me as someone who strongly identifies with captain america and superman mm. it's easy to it's easy for me to tell myself yeah and i am someone who wants to figure out what the right thing is and do it and i like it when people are happy and so i can go well if that's my motive then Anything that's outside of that can't really be my fault. So it must be that my gifting is my main problem. I just started going, wow. So the crack that began to show there was a kind of, but is it? Maybe there are some unexcavated pieces in me that are contributing, that are making my life this
1: way. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think I'm struck by we do begin to build this framework, begin to tell ourselves a certain story, and it works for a while. Right? It's not like you tell yourself a story and you kind of have to keep telling it yourself and like rubbing your earlobes. It, it feels good. It's a balm. It's protection. It's justification. And that might stay there. Were it not for maybe the fact that God wants to go after you and tear it down if it's not accurate. And I think it can feel like life or death when it gets threatened. So I hear your story, your framework, and kind of go, like, was that, was that there for a day before you're like, oh, you know, there's that thing of truth in my gut, like, I, I can't, I can't <laughs> swallow it anymore. Or was it there for a decade, to use a different word that starts with D, or or was it there for even longer? For a (laughs) delirium, Or a (laughs) a a (laughs) lifetime. (laughs) I mean... eternity. These things are like... I just am so aware of the ways that they're built through experience and they are built through safety and then they're built through our experiences and interpretations of those experiences and just to go eventually enough cracks start showing in that framework in that narrative where you can't put a lot of weight on it anymore or it's going to crumble and it's going to be, you're going to, the narrative you're going to start telling yourself is what are my kids going to go? Why is daddy so checked out or why is he so angry or why is he so? And you can imagine the conversation going on in the next room because they can't actually have it with you and, that was it for me, right? That was some of the having an overactive imagination, sitting there going, when I finally lose it, which feels inevitable, when I finally break down, the phrase that was coming to me for this year is, I am the fuel that my family burns to get through the day. There's a narrative. Whoa. There's a... I'm going to be consumed by this. And eventually the fuel is going to run out. And when it does, then what? And that would be the active imagination part of just going down all those rabbit trails of imagining my kids having a conversation with Susie and wondering why dad is like the way he is. Um, And that's where for me, to begin to examine, it feels like the cracks can reveal themselves in big dramatic moments, and in the small buildup of where. And I think 2020 certainly was a combination of both. Um, so I'm thinking about my story and some of the like the cracks for me, um, I've wanted for a long time to do a, a series or a conversation on uh, depression, particularly depression and its offshoots or, or siblings of uh, suicide anxiety uh, and and the hope that gets us out of that. I was on a call the other day and people were asking, what is the the number one thing that is threatening young men? What's their biggest battle? Um, and I threw out hope because it does feel like one of the biggest battles when you go, we, we live in the, the suicide capital of elementary school kids. At least it was several years ago. I pray that it's not. I wish there wasn't such a thing as the capital of that. And depression is part of my story. That is, that is this way that I have had to go through the world. And I've talked about it in the past. Um, but for me, that's one of my like threads. So I have to drop that piece in to begin connecting you to this moment. And you go, how does somebody who has empathy as one of his top five of his strengths, who feels a lot and has to begin managing that, has to begin consecrating that, and so that doesn't get yanked around. Empathy is one of Susie's gifts and she doesn't watch certain movies because there's enough pain, harm, darkness in the world that to expose herself to more is unhelpful. Now, as an aside, I don't know why she reads the news and therefore is aware of all of the train accidents all over the world that she can have no control over and it just seems to attack that empathy. But for some reason that's different because it's not Hollywood and doesn't have a soundtrack playing to it.
2: I'm gonna bury that Bury that in the footnotes. (laughs) I get it. Listen to the appendices. Well,
1: the thing is is that she knows I feel that way, and I'm actually not talking to her right now. I'm talking to you right now, who does that too, and says it's okay because it's good to be informed.
2: You know who you are.
1: It is good to be informed, but is that what you're doing, or are you medicating something? So for me, it goes on those threads to uh, predominantly feeling in a sense of listlessness, unease, And strong moments of anger and needing to really try and condense that. So, because of my crack being anger, uh, that was one of the areas for me where, as we were trying to address, we we hit a point this summer where like we needed to do something about these things. Like you and I weren't working, and the family systems weren't working, and there was just enough to go pause, address them, and. I I feel like I had done so many cuts at this, so many passes in this particular area for, of my story uh, I, that I felt simultaneously like, okay, really? Another? Can we be done with this? I have addressed it. I've been chasing it. And also a sense of defeat of like, I, I'm always going to be feeling this thing no matter how much I do. So it's both like that. I don't need to because I've come a long way and that's probably as far as I'm going to go. Counseling, you guys, my gosh. Like, yeah, just well, uh, you
2: say the word counseling, and I start climbing out of a chair going, Hey, you know what's a helpful thing with your narrative? And, uh, and is it to truth? say it out loud to somebody? Is to say it out loud to someone caring? Yes. Because you asked, How long did I tell myself this story? Was it a day? Was it a decade? And I would go, I can point to people who saw the holes in my story. And saw that it was hard for me to believe that I was in the wrong. Mm. And because that hurt them, 100% of those people brought me that problem in anger. But there's this fascinating thing, which when you can't divorce fact and value, you realize that something that the Bible says, uh, the truth, when it's spoken outside of love, is not the truth anymore. So... They could have been helpful, and I've done this to people too, identified something, not worked through it, and brought it to them while I'm still mad, mm. and the conversation tanks, and it and it goes, one right. of the advantages of where you tell your story, where that comes out is, does it come out in the presence of care where you actually have access to the truth because people are loving, or does it get pushed down because... It gets exposed by people who are frustrated or angry or whatever it is. Right. And they corrupt the story.
1: Yep. So for me, let me this is one of like the things that should have been obvious but it had to be lived was that I am not the exception to things that work. I totally believe in counseling when it comes to other people. But I didn't want to do it. I'm somehow the exception. Like, I don't, it's not going to work for me. I don't want to... Yeah, like, so the hurdles oh, are too high anyway, you know? Yeah. How, 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 who's how, got I mean, the money? Who's got the time? How do you find that person? I mean, uh, right, you get whatever. the right person, and it's just throwing up roadblocks. And then when I'm in this chair and doing the things, and they'd ask me to do certain tasks, I would hear myself be like, okay, I know that that works for other people, but I'm not going to do it. I am not going to throw pillows down the hallway and scream. Literally something they had me do. and Because I'm, I'm like thinking, this is stupid. I know this works for other people, but it's stupid for me to do it. And I realized that one of, one of the questions for me that got thrown into that was, uh, what's the risk? Like, it, you feel stupid and potentially something happens, or you don't take a risk and you stay exactly where you are and nothing changes. That's the risk Ugh. and those are the stakes. And so... That's where I I, I talked about last time, these pieces, these revelations for me. One was the, like, it's good and healthy to feel, and you won't be overwhelmed by it. Like, feel the emotion, let it flow downstream. I pulled up this uh, research paper from, gosh, it's 2009, but it references other studies going back to 1997, 1993, 2005, and can imagine there's been more since then, but it's it's titled The Social Costs of Emotional Suppression. And I thought that this piece right here is particularly interesting. So this is for people who are suppressing their own emotional range, positive and negative, as a means of self-protection in a new environment. In addition to altering expressive behavior, suppression has some potential costs for effective experience. Several studies have found that suppression leaves intact the subjective experience of negative emotion but decreases the experience of positive emotions. Uh, uh, there's more in here that I, I'll come back to, but just that piece alone, like that was what I was doing as a means of self-protection for the anger and for grief in my story As I was like, I don't, I don't want to experience those negative emotions Therefore, I'm going to begin suppressing them personally. I want to stay off of antidepressants because I've been off of them. So I'm going to be my own antidepressant. And the clinical truth is all that does is limit my positive. It still allows me to feel negative and predominantly lets me see the world through the negative, even if it's not quite as this uh, deep as it used to be. Like I wouldn't fall all the way down the pit. Like I was still in the pit and would be looking at that world through that. Additionally, here they got another piece where they partnered up people to watch uh, pieces, uh, clips from the Holocaust. So like intense uh, emotional stimuli and darkness. And they had one person intentionally limit their emotional experience. And the other person didn't know they were doing that. So you have a partner and it would be like, you and I are watching it and I've been coach to suppress and you don't know that and then we're going to talk about it afterwards. When one partner was instructed unbeknownst to the other to suppress their emotional expressions during the discussion, the interaction with that partner was more stressful than interacting with a partner who acted naturally as indexed by their increase of blood pressure. Dude, yes. So when you are the person who is interacting with a person like me who is going, nope, not going to go there, can't go there, won't go there, it actually stresses the other person out, and it has this, encourages them to interact in a different way, or stop interacting in general. And so it's this like, okay, here's what I think is going to do to protect me from these things. Yeah, was my narrative. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep that at bay, and all I am doing is increasing the pain firsthand to myself, and encouraging others to distance themselves and increase the pain that way. Woof. So like, how many, I just, like I know this for other people, but somehow it doesn't apply to me. How many of our narratives and our means of self-protection are actually just doing more harm?
2: Yeah, I got to hang a footnote on this one and go, you know what my strategy was in, <laughs> before 2020 when him and I were trying to work through something is handle it. Stay calm, lean mm-hmm. in. And I wouldn't label that emotional suppression. I'd label that, hey, that's just mature. has disciplined I'm keeping my cool. Mode. Yeah. And it would make her more stressed because she she was fighting this incongruity between how she knew I felt and right. how calm I was acting. And when I started you, not going, oh, well, now I'm going to come out with my whole emotional rage. But being like, I'm going to lead And lean in Mm -hmm. with, let me just pause and name some of the things that you are sensing. This conversation freaks me out because I'm concerned that if we open this for like together, that what will happen, I won't be able to handle it and God won't come through. So, I'm scared. Second, and all of a sudden, her stress level would just come way, 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 way down. Probably
1: literally her blood pressure. Yeah.
2: Her body, yeah, though those things are separate. Wow. Husbands out there who do this also, uh, hmm. there you go, pro tip. I have an interesting <laughs> one for— uh, <laughs> Pro tip that I learned by taking shrapnel.
1: <laughs> pro
2: tip. <laughs> they let anyone be married. It's just amazing. <laughs> there's no no test. <laughs> uh, there's no follow-up appointment. They're yeah. like, that would be funny. If I were to design premarital, it would look very different than anything oh I've heard anyone ever do. It'd be like, yeah. so, is your home a sanctuary or is it a... Be like, No, that question is not... Marriage
1: is to make you holy, not happy, so let go of all holiness now. You're only allowed to have sex in the missionary position. La- <laughs> Two things I was told in premarital, so that was great. Well, Save to say that
2: one by the <laughs> uh, wayside. <anyway. laughs> wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Barry, this is your fault.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Keeping all that. Keep going.
2: What to do when you find the cracks. I have an interesting one. And I would say the interesting thing in 2020 that came before any of the counseling, any of the unpacking my story, any of these things coming to a head, was Jesus, when I would pray, telling me, remember... The things that made you fall in love with me, go do them again. And I would say when the cracks are showing in your life, that is a threatening experience. And one of the very first things I would recommend wouldn't be lean into the tension, get support, find a therapist. One of the first things I would do when that starts to happen is go, how's your love for God doing? Because get this you are as safe as god is good to you not generally but how much he is personally invested and engaged and empathetic to your story engaged with your story compassionate for you and so i think i needed when the when the cracks were showing to refresh my vision of jesus to to want him to feel like God was trustworthy and someone who could handle some major shifts in the landscape of my life.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And just went, there, there you go. I think stage one, or one of your first, one of the first three things you do yeah. when you're beginning to notice that you're not doing well is just check in. How's, how's your love? Doing? How's your love for God doing? what were things that made you fall in love with God? And even if it is, you know what? It was just, it was when I would fish and the beauty and that. Be like, awesome. Mine was surprising in that it's telling people Old Testament stories. and That's ca- how you fell in love with God? That's one of the ways that I, yeah, I wild. love capturing the mythopoesis. So not be like... I probably couldn't even spell that. <laughs> right, but don't go like, and then a shoot sprang from the stump of Jesse and then be like, no, say instead, uh, then one was born in Israel in whom it was said the blood of the old kings ran again
1: Ooh, yeah. and go.
2: They're just like Now we're talking
1: about Lord of the Rings though, right? <laughs> and we're
2: talking about Jesus. We're talking about when you tell those stories the right way, the way that you'll feel. And so what are the things that made you fall in love with God?
1: Yeah. And can I... Can I put on there a slow down with your interpretation of that advice? Because there's part of me that goes to the, oh, great, I'm failing there too. But the invitation is to go back into those things rather than to go, how are you doing with your love of God? And if it's not good, that's probably part of the cause of it to go, no, go back to those places that began it. And that's going to help bring some stability from which you can begin actually addressing some of the things. That's so
2: good. That reminds me of (laughs) another way of putting it. uh, Leading with joy would be to ask yourself, what would your life with God look like if you loved it? You know, maybe you can imagine some of those things. I've asked a few people that question, and it's really kind of interesting and to go, yeah, it's easy for me to come in via failure and try to succeed again instead of discerning joy and moving in that direction and
1: going right. You're like, well I missed this question on the test, but I'm gonna get the next three right and we'll avoid it, right? That that doesn't really work if you're trying to just jump on and solve. Yes. Right. And and if you can't remember, that's okay. Maybe
2: even just right now get ask God the question. Remind me Why I started liking you in the first place Mm. when these things get covered in freaking religious drapery and the fact that they're awesome is lost. But to go, that whole, remember your first love, then you'll come back to me, all that stuff. Mm. That returning is this constant like, Mm. hey, there was was a moment where you, I hope, (laughs) perceived Jesus and were moved. And then a lot of things have happened since then. Mm-hmm. but if God were to lead you back around into, into that enjoyment like that that will be a really helpful thing in a time when your life feels like it's in upheaval.
1: yeah here's, here's another piece I would offer to how to respond when the cracks start showing because as I said earlier sometimes the cracks begin to show slowly and with pressure put on them and certain things in our life Certain years will help us get access to them. Sometimes they're big, dramatic events that reveal cracks, particularly loss and death. Um, a close friend of mine just lost their godfather, just found out a couple days ago. He, he had a long-term battle with some, some health issues. And the profound grief in that area is like one of those more dramatic moments that just seems to like drop a bomb into what feels like a cavern and you're, you're quickly through the crack and into some of the deeper things. But it's still, it's almost too fast and so you're there but you don't know what to do. Um, so my advice for that person, my close friend, and my advice for myself for the opposite, the more the slower entrance into it, is to slow down is partnered with your piece on um, going back to the romance with God is back to that speed thing as well. Like don't try and jump on to solving it. Don't try to get back up to speed because it's dangerous when you're going slow. Don't try and cover up that lack of skill. Stillness and slow are okay. And you can begin to make some deeper observations and some wiser steps and invite others and the Holy Spirit to guide what comes next. If you go straight to solving it, or if you are too afraid of the grief, um, you're going to miss a lot. And so for this friend, the loss of their godfather just exposes the, the feared coming loss of other loved ones and the past experience loss of loved ones. And so it's just, it's a big moment that goes into another. And if he's willing to slow down, there's an opportunity to begin doing some work in that area. And I I pulled up a poem that I wanted to share um, that a friend of mine gave me back in college. It was right after um, a loss for me in the arena of love. But I actually think it applies really well in the arena of, of ourselves as we need to slow down as these cracks begin revealing themselves and as old narratives begin to crumble, as old ways that we used to defend ourselves and probably aren't working anymore, potentially weren't working from the beginning. But the poem is called Wait by Galloway Kinnell, who was born in 1927, actually, and he passed away a couple years ago. Wait for now. Distrust everything if you have to. But trust the hours. Haven't they carried you everywhere up to now? Personal events will become interesting again. Hair will become interesting. Pain will become interesting. Buds that open out of season will become interesting. Secondhand gloves will become lovely again. Their memories are what gave them the need for other hands. The desolation of lovers is the same, That enormous emptiness carved out of such tiny beings as we are asks to be filled. The need for the new love is faithfulness to the old. Wait, don't go too early. You're tired, but everyone's tired, but no one is tired enough. Only wait a little and listen. Music of hair, music of pain, music of looms weaving our loves again. Be there to hear it. It will be the only time, most of all, to hear your whole existence, rehearsed by the sorrows, play itself into total exhaustion.
2: That was amazing. Put it in the show notes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we we totally will. Um, And for me, there's something that's really kind to ourselves in that poem, seen through that lens for this space of it is, It's a scary, actually, it was a terrifying life or death experience to go into these areas of the cracks, to go into the areas of the old narratives, to go into the areas of the old ways of defending and to begin inviting others there and slowing down, inviting others in, pursuing God there really were the only ways forward that was going to bring change. That's
2: so dang good. I just have a couple other pieces that come to mind that stem from that. And one of them is weight is accurate, though it feels super urgent and like an emergency. And several years ago, something else was going on. And one of the realizations that I had uh, that came out of that time with the father is that one of the messages of the presence of a father is that your crisis is not a problem not in without dismissing and it's not saying your problem is not not a crisis it's just we can handle it it's fine like uh your your engine blew up not a problem son we we can do this your marriage is in a rough season not a problem it's okay and to go When the cracks, for me, 2020, so many parts of 2020 felt so insanely urgent. Like if I needed to talk to a person and they weren't available for a week, that was intolerable. It actually isn't. There's actually more space in God for these things. And... That's wise counsel, even if it only helps you, like me, interpret your story after the fact. Even if you're not able to do it, uh, would just be, go, it is a a crisis. But crisis, the father being who he is, is not a problem. You'll be okay. And so that, yeah, there are steps to be taken, but you don't need to hit the big red button and go, everyone needs to get to battle stations right now because not everyone's available to come to battle stations any given day of the week, maybe not even that month. And you might find yourself going, you're right, it's time for me to find a therapist, but they have a waiting list and they're not free for six weeks. And I would go, um, I don't waited months, man. It wasn't like I need counseling next week. It was like, man, I could really use some counseling. Okay, well, uh, some therapists are available at the end of the summer. Would you like to see them? And it went, it can't wait. It can. God can carry you uh, through that. Yes, there are some very practical pieces of advice, like get other kind eyes on your story. Have people walk with you. It's okay if they're not available tonight. It's okay if your friend doesn't answer that super urgent phone call. God has space for that.